Black joy and bootstraps The podcast that you really need Helping my black community Good vibes, good energy Black joy and bootstraps Top financial literacy Love and education Wanna see my people elevated yeah. of Black Joy and Bootstraps. I am your host, Felicia Jimenez, and I am here today with a good, good, good friend of mine who I love so much. She's like a teaching goddess, y'all. I cannot wait for y'all to just get to know her during this episode. Uh, her name is Celia Carey. Uh, Celia, can you say hey for the folks today? Hey, 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 y'all. Jimenez, you're too kind. Stop. No, Please listen. Stop. Y'all don't understand. Y'all gonna... <laughs> I tell y'all, everybody that's on the show, y'all gonna fall in love with, but this is my girl. So when I started teaching four years ago, um, we actually co-taught together and it was, it was glorious. Like it was just so beautiful. And I was, I mean, she had been, how many, how many years had you been teaching at that time, Celia? I want to say, I want to say I was coming up on maybe 10, 9, 10 years oh at that time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, she is a teaching goddess. Like, I just sat in awe in our classrooms. I mean, I could hold my own in the classroom, y'all, but I was just in awe every single day of how well she taught, her rapport with students. So, anyway, I had to get an episode in, y'all, on education, because y'all know that's what I do. Um, And right now, we all struggling. Y'all, we out here in these streets struggling. Every teacher, every admin, every person. I don't care from the lunch ladies to the to the janitors. I am not joking. We are all in that um, in that building on campus every day struggling. So I had to get out here, talk about it a little bit, especially during this COVID time, because we are. Oh, Jesus. I don't, do I even have a word besides struggling? What's another word you would use? Celia? What, what um, we got? Frustrated, uh, medicate, medicated, <laughs> uh, depressed girl. Uh, I love it. Oh down. my gosh, I love it. So <laughs> let's just start with with COVID period. Like let's just talk about because teaching is so different right now. I mean, I think that teaching is not. I think teaching is already a hard job, right? Like what we do mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. already difficult, and then we're like this year. Let you know what, let's just start with the restrictions. Let's just start there. Like, um, because we've got all of these protocols and restrictions now for uh, for COVID. So tell me, I'll tell you a few things that my school is doing, but I want you to start. Tell me what are some things that your school is doing, some restrictions and protocols that y'all have on campus right now. Well, I'll first off say, you know, I know you're an international star. So, Girl, you know, bye. your uh, listeners... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, your listeners should know, you know, they probably know that you're in Texas, so am I, I'm, I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, and so the protocol, so we've been back, uh, you know, with face-to-face learning, which is not the case across the United States, but in Texas, the Lone Star State, we do whatever we want to do down here, by we, I mean them, and, and so, um, we have been back face-to-face with kids, so some of the protocols that are in place right now, which are really good protocols, they're really, they really are good. We have sanitizer outside of every single classroom, hand sanitizer. Okay. All of our students are required to wear a mask. We provide the students with three masks. Every teacher was provided uh, a mask that has our, like, school, you know, name and mascot on it. Okay. Um, They provided every teacher. Yeah, they provided every teacher with a shield, like a face shield. Okay. Um, The students were given um, a plexiglass um, desk. What? Divider, I guess is what it's called. Yeah. So each student on our campus carries with them their plexiglass from class to class Mm -hmm. with them. Um, Wait, wait. So it's like, so they take the, 
I didn't I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought they just kept the plexiglass there. So they literally are traveling like in the hallways, class to class with these plexiglasses. Yes. How yes. Big and are we they? have a reduced amount of students. They they fold. So, you know, probably huh. like a it's kind of like when students have like a poster project. I mean, it's a little bit inconvenient, but um, besides that in their Chromebooks, that's all they're carrying. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't really have paper, pencil, you know, no one's really dealing with that right now. Even Thanks. in person, kids are just strictly on online. So um, they're really responsible for keeping up with their mask, keeping their mask on, which we know that's an issue. Oh, baby. Um, carrying their plexiglass. Yes. Carrying their plexiglass and um, their Chromebooks with them. Our students do eat breakfast in the classroom with the teachers each day, which I feel is problematic. Okay. But that was the only way with the, the size of my campus. If we're fully uh, in person, we have a, a, almost a thousand students, uh, about nine hundred students on our campus. Okay. And so we're a, a larger campus, you know, and so we can't fit them all into the cafeteria for breakfast safely. So the only way they could reduce the exposure to kids during breakfast time is for them to eat breakfast in the classroom with their teachers Okay. in the mornings, in their advisory period. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I mean, my school is doing the same thing. We don't eat lunch in the cafeteria. We eat lunch in the classroom with the students as well. Well, the teachers, I mean, we have our lounge, we can go, but the students are eating lunch in the classroom and also breakfast. When you say um, that you have 900 kids on campus, are y'all doing the half virtual, half um, like face-to-face or are all of your students face-to-face right now? So we're, uh, we gave parents a choice. So when I say 900, that's if we were fully, like if every student showed up to campus, okay. that is our like enrollment numbers. Gotcha. We do not have nearly that many students right now. I think we have maybe like 400 okay. on our campus. And so, which, I mean, it, 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 it feels empty, you know, mm-hmm. it's not as packed as what it normally is, but it still has a lot of kids. And it just depends on the teacher's class where some classes have two or three kids and some classes have like 18, 20 24 i mean it just depends you know on that teacher's roster so um right now so we're working with about 400 on the campus the kids do eat lunch in the cafeteria because it's broken up by grade level Mm -hmm. so we're able to socially distance them in that case um but i will say and and then if a kid gets sick if if a kid coughs or does it literally if a kid coughs they're put on a 10-day at home quarantine (laughs) they do their yeah if they even if they cough uh they are sent home for 10 days, and my campus has been really, really good with that. Good. Um, the contact tracing has not been as good as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand confidentiality and all that, but at the same time, people need to know who's infected so they can know if they've been around them. Absolutely. Like, you know, and Absolutely. so um, you know, we got news today that one student, a sixth grader, tested positive and that um, 13 kids had to quarantine and two teachers. Our entire football team is quarantined at this oh, time wow. um, because they have, yeah, we had one student test positive. So are we doing everything in our measures to keep the school building safe? Yes, but, I mean, that's the question you ask. Right. My, my answer is that we should just all be virtual yeah. right now instead of doing this this juggle, this thing that we've got going on. I don't feel like it's very successful Girl, I feel you. So my so. school, so and I, I brought you on because you're in middle school. I'm in high school, right? You're in mm-hmm. middle school. So um, my school on a on a regular, like fully staffed, non-COVID uh, is like about 3,000, 3,100 kids, right? Um, I think oh, about, I, yeah, right. So right now, though, just like your school, we're at about 50%. So 1,500, mm-hmm. 1,600 students. So my classes range from six kids in a class to literally like 20-something, like 20. I think my largest class is like 21, 22 students. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, and 
my my school has done very similar things as yours. I feel like those uh precautionary measures. And I I can be honest in saying that I feel like my admin has done everything that they possibly could do. If that makes sense, I I don't like I don't have mm-hmm, I can't find mm-hmm. any fault with them. Does that make sense? Like I can't be like, well, if only yeah, they yeah. were to. I I just I'm like you're doing what you can. There's no point in me even screaming at you. Like this is what it's it, this is what it's gonna be. Like y'all were told yeah. by the powers that be that this is what it has to be, and y'all have like they've been very um I don't know they've especially with the uh, safety precautions they've done a lot. You know we have one way hallways mm-hmm. um which. It's it's been good and like it's kind of had its little like I don't know because we have a lot of students you know not as many mm. as usual but and the campus is pretty big so kids love to be like well I couldn't get here on time because I'm like um, okay so so you was five minutes late so it took you ten minutes to get from that last class to get to here okay boo okay so it is I mean some of them are struggles but um so yeah the next question that I had for you what are some of the because what is your exact position on campus? Because I know you're teaching in some capacity, but you also have, like, other duties. Mm-hmm. So let me ask that. What is it that you do exactly, and what's that title? So, yes, I am the instructional lead teacher on my campus. Um, and our campus has 6th, 7th, and 8th grade on there. I'm the instructional lead teacher for the English Language Arts Department. Okay. So um, that entails me teaching. I teach a, a block of language arts. Um, and then after that, I go into teachers' classrooms. I support teachers. Um, I am not there in any administrative capacity. I'm literally there as a mentor, a think partner, a guide. Mm-hmm. I have no say in their official evaluations or anything like that. I'm just there to help teachers hone in on their craft. So I really love my job. I love what I do. I love that I get to work with a great team. I'm a little spread thin because our English department is pretty huge on my campus, uh, compared to the other departments. And, um, but spread thin very, as an very, educator? Very worth it. that's crazy. I've, Listen, I have never heard you know, that. We usually have plenty know, of time in our schedule and everything to just do lots of things. That's really, I've mm, never heard mm, that. Mm. Girl, we struggling. And, and, and <laughs> We're struggling real hard. And so I have like 13, uh, 13 teachers that I support oh, wow. um, by going into their classrooms. See, I have 13, whereas the math and science and social studies, they have about like six or seven members okay. on their team because um, it's just more English teachers to break those classes down a little bit mm-hmm. more than I have such heavy classes, you know. But um, and I'm kind of like a liaison between teachers and admin. So gotcha. if there's a concern from teachers, they, they have a little bit of a trust in me that I'm not an administrator and I can speak to them in that regard. And the admin respects me as a person who's a part of the teacher team to bring information to and from. To and from. So there that's, is, that's, that's pretty much what I do. There is no job that's more perfect for you. Like, I felt like even in the classroom <laughs> as your equal, right, you were you were that for me. Like, you were the support for me. I'm like, yo, how should I teach this? And you're like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, dang. Like, just, I couldn't even, y'all, I couldn't even understand Celia's brain, like, how it works. Like, and she's like, look, if you are teaching, and she would always say this, because humility is everything, right? So she would be like, if you've been teaching as long as I have, and you ain't got no answers, then I don't know what you're doing. I'm like, okay, you're right, bet. But still, like, <laughs> and girl, don't like, because you know we both been uh, teaching with teachers. And I'm like, now listen, you've been teaching too long for to not, I'm not going to do this with you. <laughs> and that's a well, thing, well, too. You know, it is a thing, and that's why I consider it a craft, because, you know, some of the older heads, even older than us, you know, they get really complacent in their roles, you know what I'm saying, where yeah. edu- nothing is constant in education but change. Yeah. And so if you 
are not flexible enough to keep up with the kids and keep up with what's going on, you're going to get, you're going to fall behind. You're not going to be effective with your children. So it's it's super important to always keep looking back at what you're doing and evaluating. Is it working or is it not? And what can I do to make it work for these kids better? Because they need it and they deserve it. Yo, that actually leads me into like the next question I was going to ask you, because I was thinking um, about what are some of the struggles or like the complaints that you've been hearing from teachers and staff and everywhere on campus and that's one. Let me just introduce that one, and then we can go into any other ones that you've been hearing. But um, one is that our older teachers, I mean, everything is technology. You said at the beginning, right? We're, we can't pass mm-hmm. out handouts. We Like, if you that's ain't got no pencil, who cares? Because we're not doing anything with pencils. Everything is electronic right now. It's in Google Classroom. Yeah. It's on Blackboard or Canvas or Ingenuity or whatever it is that you're using for your system. It's in all these different systems. So, I mean, I haven't made a copy all year of anything. Mm-mm. It is October 26th. Do you feel me? Like, I'm like, I have made zero <laughs> copies. Like, and so, I mean, I'm grateful we're saving trees. You know, the millennial in me is like, okay, this ain't that bad. But I mean, what are, so what are some of the other complaints or, you know, things that you've been hearing that have made this year hard? The main thing is that Let's talk about the older teachers for a second because there's so much. It's like lots yeah. of uh, facets here. Mm-hmm. The older teachers are out, they're having a hard time with the technology. Yeah. But once we decided to go back face to face with students on September 28th, we lost some really veteran teachers. And I say veteran, I mean beyond me. Teachers mm-hmm. who've been teaching 25, 30 years oh, yeah. who felt it was a risk to their health mm-hmm. to be in a, inside of a classroom that may not be well ventilated, oh. um, you know, because we don't really have the technology in a lot of our buildings, you know. I work in a newer building, but it's still, you may be assigned a classroom that doesn't have windows, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're in a non you know, a non-well ventilated situation with children in an enclosed area in the middle of a, a pandemic. Yeah. So we had teachers who retired. If they were eligible to retire, Baby. they retired. That means we lost we lost that knowledge because they would not have retired otherwise. Um, Can I add on to that? Yeah, add on to it. Well, just with that, this year, um, so the teacher, one of my teachers from high school, blonde-haired, green-eyed, Miss Megan Carlton. So shout out to Miss Carlton. She taught me when I was in 12th grade, right? She was, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when I was at my high school, um, uh, let's just say it was very different. It was very rich. I didn't really fit in. Uh, I, I There was a lot of things about it. But she was one of the few teachers that gave the black and brown, the few black and brown students that were there a voice. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. she, we mm-hmm. never felt like we were being judged in there. I mean, we and we could talk how we talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't have to code switch in her class, even though we did because we were used to it, right? But we knew there wouldn't be yeah. a penalty if we did it. And so, oh, man, when I tell you, she poured her heart and soul into us. And this year, uh, when COVID hit, she said she couldn't do it. And, man, I I can't. Like, Mm. even right now, Celia, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm tearing up. Like, it was, you know, when you watch your heroes, you know, like, she Mm -hmm. was, she taught me just like you how to teach. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so losing those veteran teachers this year was, Oh, it, that was that was rough as hell. Like I was like, this shit is for the birds. Like watching those that you love so much. So so yeah. Aside from that, the health risks, the you know the fear, all of that, and then like we can get into the technology. But I just had to you know send a shout out to the Megan Carltons of the world that that have changed the world. You know. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And think about the long-term effects of that blow, losing that vast amount of wealth and the people who are giving it all, like who can make you tear up years later. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That. And so we're, we're, kids are, are, are losing that because yeah. of the pandemic. But it's not just because of the pandemic. It's because of the handling of the pandemic oh. in the state. The other complaint has been simultaneously teaching kids online and kids in person. So that's been the biggest thing is how am I supposed to be on Zoom, teaching Zoom, uh, you know, meeting these kids' needs, mm-hmm. but also meeting the needs of kids that are sitting in my room mm-hmm. where I can't really come within six feet of them, but I still need to be here for them. And it's a very awkward situation so that's been the second complaint um the other complaints have been um with the and you said your your campus so this is in a very by campus but the administrators on my campus are still kind of rolling with business as usual and a lot of campuses mm -hmm. have been doing that in regards to assessments and data analysis and Mm Yeah, you know what I mean? Like the charts and the graphics and yes. turn this in by end of day and, you know, the PLCs and, the, you know, and all this stuff. And I understand they want us to grow and they mm-hmm, want our kids mm-hmm. to grow. We need data, 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 data. But at the end of the day, your teachers are navigating a pandemic with their own families. People are dying in our country. Mm-hmm. We have kids who are in poverty. They already have other things and issues going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then we're adding on more stress onto the kids by giving them tests every week. And, you know, and I know we have to test kids. I'm not saying we don't have to test kids, but we cannot be moving forward with business as usual when this is, we're in unprecedented times. I just and really so I feel think, like we might have, we should have brought out a collection plate because I didn't know you were going to come to preach today. I just didn't know. Like, I wasn't oh, ready. Oh, oh. Like, because the level oh. at which you are preaching right now, and you are correct. Like, we just had a benchmark, a district benchmark, and I'm looking at my scores. And mind you, these kids haven't been, like, in school, school for real, like, real deal, Holyfield-type school for, like, six mm-hmm, months, right? Mm-hmm. Then we throw yeah, this benchmark yeah. at them. Girl, my scores were so low, and I will tell anybody this. I don't have a lot of talents. Look, I can't sing. I can't dance. I, listen, none of that. I can't draw. But one thing that I know that I'm damn good at and nobody can take that away from me is teaching. Like, you put me in a classroom and, baby, I can light it on fire. You hear me? Now, when I looked at them scores, I said, "Um, baby, I know you lying. I know. I know. At least, at least your kids took the test. We had uh, in our in our seventh grade level, we had uh, about a hundred kids who didn't even take the assessment. Right. And what can we do? Right. The real question: I can't go to their house. I called their mamas. I'm sending mm-hmm. out text messages. I'm doing all of that, but I can't. I, I, if, and if they don't take the test, am I going to give them a zero? What if their grandmama just died from COVID last night? Right. What if their mama just died? We had a student whose mama just died from COVID last right. week, and I'm supposed to be writing them about a test mm-hmm. an abcd multiple choice test right really it just doesn't feel important and it doesn't feel important to me anymore as an educator and that's why i feel like the field needs a revamp completely school cannot look like what it used to look like making kids go through their whole schedule and be on, on a computer screen for hours and hours when we know that kids don't need that much screen time oh like gosh. we're gonna have to figure out what education looks like and it may not look the same anymore it may be kids going on a computer and they take you know two hours of class and the day is done mm-hmm. but people don't want that because they want us to babysit their children for them and that's a whole another conversation Girl. right there because you i didn't know. know i was a babysitter yeah i thought i was an educator oh no baby a glorified <laughs> babysitter let's let's get it right like, We're glorified babysitters because that's what this isn't that what the senator in arizona said Something like that. He just said that we were glorified babysitters. And, you know, and I think that that's the sentiment of so many people. Now, don't get it twisted because we understand very much so 
the need to have your kid in school because you got to work. I mean, that was yeah, the option. Our te- you know what I'm saying? Our schools gave us too. Like that our, at the very yeah. beginning of the school year when we were all virtual, our um, our district, my district in particular, said you guys can bring your kids, right? But then when the option mm-hmm. came for schools to open back up, again, my daughter's in my district, um, the district that I work mm-hmm. in. So when the district opened back up, they were like, oh, no, y'all can't have kids on campus no more. We're like, wait, like, yep, which, same. which, you same. know, it was it was so like, I don't, it was kind of a, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just interesting because I'm like, uh, it was very difficult teaching my daughter, right, while I'm teaching the class. Because when you have a five-year-old yeah. in class, every five seconds, they're like, mama, it logged me out. I got to go to the restroom. <laughs> I got to poop. You're like, oh my gosh, right? Oh my and gosh. Girl, and it's like. <laughs> okay, I need to get off now and put in the code for PE. I need to get off now and get into the code for music. And I'm in the middle of teaching my class. So it was a struggle, you know. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm looking like, so y'all just were going to throw our kids back in school regardless. Like, the, I mean, yep. even if I wanted that option to keep my kid in class while I was teaching, you know, whatever. But it was it was a struggle. And I was like, man, this is this is really a crazy year. Like, and with that, do you think... Like, not just the veteran teachers, um, Celia. Do you think that we're going to have a mass exodus this year? Like, just period. Like, not just veteran teachers. I mean, the teachers in general. Do you think we're going to have a mass exodus from public education? Uh, yes, because I wasn't even done with my list yet of, oh. of, of complaints. Oh. And, 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 we probably, and we probably need to move forward. <laughs> no, 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 we probably need to move forward. But that's the per- The point is, mm-hmm. is that teachers are suffering from anxiety, depression at, at, at an alarming rate. Um, I know personally, I've been physically anxious. I've started talking yep. to a, 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 a therapist. I know other teachers who are getting on medication. They're taking mm-hmm. Prozac. Mm-hmm. They're getting medication from their doctor. Y'all can't see um, me, but I'm raising it. my hand. I'm like, yeah, amen. Listen, yes, that's me too. Yes. Getting getting FMLA leave, you know, mm-hmm. unpaid, willing to take unpaid leave yeah. to r- reduce the anxiety, um, working, overworking. Teachers already work at home for free, mm-hmm. which I really feel like we should be able to clock in when we grade papers and, and do lesson plans at home. But I, that's a whole other conversation because corporate America can do it. They can do a time clock when they're at home. But for some reason, teachers can't, even though everyone knows we do work at home. So I feel like this, this needs to be a stuff, whole like three segment just episode, <laughs> like part one, part two, part three. Because the truth is today, the purpose of the discussion today was basically like two things. I wanted to discuss the struggles of this year. And then I wanted to talk about why parents and teachers alike are looking for educational alternatives. You know what I'm saying? Like that was my purpose yeah. for this conversation. And I feel like talking about those two things is almost a disservice to the amount of information that we need to put out to the world. I, again, Listen. I know you weren't finished with the list. We, girl, the the level, like the the list is on a scroll. Yeah, you didn't even give yeah. me the cliff notes. Like you, like so. <laughs> it's like this is just absolutely ridiculous. And and I, I mean, because we're both, you know, in the classroom, it's, we're both resonating. My school went back to my district. Went back to school. Um, I think two weeks prior to yours, because we went back September fourteenth, mm-hmm. and y'all came back the twenty eighth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, and even now there's these smaller towns that are like, uh, you know, trying to force everybody back by November. Like they're just which here's the thing. I understand that in those smaller towns, too, some of them have had zero to one cases of COVID in those tiny, yeah, tiny towns. Yeah. So they're like, we're not yeah. doing this because we're not like Dallas. We're not like Garland or Mesquite or Forney or Rockwall, whatever. Um, you know, all the other places, if you're not in Texas, all the other places that have big districts, they're like, we're a podunk town. Like, 
nobody is even leaving our town to go to work. We have the farmers yeah. and yeah. we're all here, you know. Uh, so they're not even concerned about that. So it's not like I want to be like, how dare you make people go back? But those are also the people that in those small towns, they okay with it for other Republican reasons. But anyway, so, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, but so, Uh so you definitely feel like that there's going to be, um, where do you have, like, I think the biggest struggle too is us feeling, I say this like every episode because education comes up in some facet right that we just kind of feel trapped right now and as educators we I mean I have a brother-in-law who just started in corporate America I won't even mention the company many of us know it's a survey company Um, and so Mm -hmm. he like he, he so he got hired on started in July and works from home every single day you know in the privacy of his bedroom or his living room or wherever, like he's just working from home. And I'm like, must be freaking nice, you know, because even when we were online, our, many of the schools were making teachers come to campus. You know what I'm saying? They were making us um, be on campus in our classrooms, as opposed to working from home, even though we're online, you know, micromanaged to death, micromanaged to death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and just going back to what you said earlier, um, you know, when we are talking about um, being impoverished and those of um, our students who live in poverty, who I had a student last year, just really quick, because this segues into the next thing. But I had a student last year and I did not see this baby at all when we went virtual. I mean, when I tell you I'm sending messages on remind, like, baby, you OK? Like, is everything good? No message back. Um, and you know this is like the our f- biggest fear, right? Is like something happening to this ki- these kids, um, whether it be abuse or you know. And my student is my my school is predominantly Latino, so many of my students um, go. They work with their parents, um, as well as my black students as well. You know that's kind of the life you have. You're now out of school, so you have more hours to work, things like that. So. Mm-hmm. I just randomly one day, um, you know, I go to McDonald's and I see this baby and I'm like, boy, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, not what are you doing? I said, listen, we got to grind. I get it. Like, I totally get it. I said, but baby, I haven't seen you at all. He's like, I know, miss. I know. Like, I just I've been working all these hours, you know, just helping at home. And and this is the story of our kids. We have some kids now. Don't get it twisted. I have several kids in my school that are very privileged that have the opportunity to not you know, have to work or any of that, they get to sit in front of their computers, um, even though they're bored out of their minds and it's ruining their lives like every other student, you know, poverty or not. Um, but at the end of the day, they still have the opportunity to not have to work and stay focused on their academics, you know, whereas yep. I have this baby. And then, <laughs> oddly enough, because I live in my neighborhood, I see all my kids. I'm going to see you at Kroger. I'm going to see you at the mall. I'm going to see you walking out. Like, me and my husband, mm-hmm. baby, me and my husband go for walks, and I hear, Miss Amanda's. I'm like, Jesus, can I just work out? Can I just get a walk in, you know? But at the same time, I love it. Like, and I, I think mm-hmm. I've said this before that um, growing up, okay. my mom would always talk about how um, the her teachers, you know, she went to segregated schools, I think up until fourth or fifth grade, and her teachers lived in her community, right? And so mm. she would say how... Uh, When we say it takes a village, there was a literal village back in the day. You know, there were Mm -hmm. uh, you would go. You couldn't act a fool because your teacher would be at the grocery store. Your teacher was at church. Your teacher was, you know, your principal was going to see you wherever you were and be like, hmm, 
do, do I need to call Miss Johnson? Do I need to call Miss Franklin? Do I need, mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, damn, I'm like I can't smoke this cigarette if I wanted to. You know, they smoke cigarettes in the fifties, but anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they I, did. Yeah, so it's like you you couldn't even do certain things because it really was that village, and that's one thing that I love um, about living in my community. You know, I literally walk to work. It's that close. You know. So yeah, with yeah. that being said, um, I want to talk about this endeavor that you're working on right now, because I just think it is the dopest thing. And somehow I don't even have a lot of information about it. So you're going to teach me all about it. Um, so tell us a little bit about the nonprofit that you're working with right now, Maroon Arts and Culture. Why was it started? What is it for? Because I already know we're going to talk about the village. So let me know. All that good stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It is a village. So um, Maroon Arts and Culture was created by one of my best friends, Lindsay Jenkins. Uh, she also known as LJ. She goes by LJ. Um, and she is out of uh, Los Angeles, California. She was born and raised here in Arlington, Texas. Um, but she moved out to L.A. three years and said she's never coming back. Um, but Maroon <laughs> is defined as a person of African descent who was enslaved and fought their way to freedom and created their own community. So if you think of like, um, uh, and, and there's not a lot of stories about it because, you know, our textbooks are super whitewashed. Right. So it's always told, you know, you don't really hear the stories about famous black folk, uh, about enslaved African folks who defeated their master or left or ran away and were right. successful. We're not going to get the their stories. own community. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get you're not going to get that. So even like in my hometown and in, uh, in Greenville, Mississippi, there's an area called Mound Bayou. Mound Bayou is a freedman's city. Wow. It would be considered a maroon community. So uh, community. So they were, were men who escaped freedom or paid for their own freedom or whatever they did to mm-hmm. access, you know, to get to freedom. And then they created their own successful towns. Even if you think of uh, what was that movie where they're like in the swamps in New Orleans, like that. that um, Bayou? Did I make that up? Yeah, it, uh, East Bayou, but it was a new one with that that young lady, Kovajane, I think was in that movie. Either way, it's like this, it's a small, uh, you know, it's an all-black Creole community out mm-hmm. in the swamps. They're separated from everyone else. And that's generally what the Maroon communities were. So when we talk about Maroon arts and culture, we're talking about what a Maroon is in current day. And so we may not necessarily be in chains and be enslaved, but we are people who are looking for freedom and we're mm-hmm. looking for a community mm-hmm. of people who have the same uh mindset who come from the same kind of a history that we do a marginalized communities and we come together in this community which is a virtual space right and so um it wasn't intended to be a virtual space it was actually intended to be um you know uh, lj is a theater uh, nerd so it was supposed to be um, shows and theater productions and, you know, different showcases of artistry Love for it. marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when you come to Maroon, you want to feel home. Yes. So like, how, and it sticks, it sticks to me so hard. Uh, Jimenez, when you're talking about, you don't code switch at work anymore. Mm-hmm. It's only since I've, and, that, and it blew my mind. Cause I'm, I'm like a master code switcher. All of us and are. It's what like, you mean? My, <laughs> like all master of us. code switcher. And it's like, since I've been working for Maroon, I don't feel like I have to um, hold myself back in any way. Right. And I hope black people understand, especially black women, what I mean by that. I feel like I can wear my hair how I want. I can tie it up, wrap it up. I can wear my nose ring. I can wear African earrings. I can wear shirts that say humanized blackness. I can talk, you know, however I want to talk using AAVE. And I feel like I'm a part of that community. And so Maroon Arts and Culture 
is just an escape for Black folks and marginalized communities who want to have a community that is for us, by us, run for us, is pro us. Y'all got a whole FUBU school. Stop. A whole <laughs> school. Y'all remember FUBU. Don't get on here school. acting bougie. Like, I never, I didn't wear it. Don't act, don't act like that. I had all the FUBU. I had all the FUBU. Listen, I think I was too broke <laughs> to get FUBU. You know, Phyllis Johnson wasn't going to buy me no. <laughs> Girl, I don't know if mine was real. It might have been uh, a Bufu. Fake you remember Bufu? Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember Bufu. I might have had a couple. I might have had a couple Bufus, but I was trying. Get it from the bazaar. <laughs> we know how it is. But anyway, so yes. I, I absolutely love that because I, I mean I, I've said this, and I don't know if maybe I've said this in conversation. You know, we're a few episodes in now, so I can't even remember. But that is true. I do. I no longer code switch. Um, at work, and I'm like, you know what? I got enough letters behind my name. Y'all finna get all these finnas, gonna, wannas, ain'ts, um, like all of that. I'm just completely authentic at work, and that's that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And to be honest, it's it's also very uncomfortable for some black people, um, mm-hmm. because we are so used to. And I'm I listen. I'm not judging not nan black folk that that is worried about how I'm talking and looking and all of that. Like, because I already know that that's how white supremacy works. Right. Like we have always Mm -hmm. been judged by how other black folks talk, look, dress, all of that. Right. So when they see me and I talk, I'm like, you finna get all of this. Right. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I'm not even mad about it, but I do tell them, I'm like, you know what? As a black woman, as a 33 year old black woman, I have been made to to feel uncomfortable in several situations when I was the minority, right? When I'm sitting here in predominantly white spaces and jokes are made or things are said that are uncomfortable, like, and white people never have to think about that because in almost every space, they're the majority. So yep, yep. you can mm-hmm. feel a little uncomfortable when I say nigga. You can feel uncomfortable. You just need to know you can't say it, right? And you can feel uncomfortable hello, hello. when I say, I know you lying, like, like you, I don't care. Like I'm no longer going to switch over. And so I love that you have a space because I have created my own space at my school. You know what I'm saying? I've carved mm-hmm. out that group of really close and it's all black women, to be honest, um, where I feel the most comfortable and I can say whatever it is that I want to say. Um, and I don't have to, I don't have to censor myself or filter anything uh, because they're like, girl, fine. We know what you're saying. Moving on. You know? And I'm like, yes. and, and, and- and that's so beautiful and it's true activism and that's how mm-hmm. i know it's like in your heart because yep. you not code switching to me is, i mean you've done a lot of activist work and that's almost the biggest statement of activism you've ever said to me like living in your true authentic self as a black woman and in a professional workplace oh. is uh like huge that's yeah. major to me uh and so uh kudos to you because <laughs> i'm still working on it it's good it's fine because we have been programmed it and let me tell you something for everybody listening for every black woman man anybody that's listening that's like you know what maybe i'm not gonna code switch i'm letting you know right now it is more difficult to not code switch because we are used to it when we get around black folks we don't we just like yo it is what it is right but it mm-hmm. is, you have to be intentional because you have already programmed yourself to talk a certain way in front of people that don't look like you. So I actually, I mean, now I'm like, I'm just in my thick stuff, whatever, whatever, right? <laughs> like 24 mm-hmm. seven. However, you know, at first it was, I'd be like, yeah, no, no problem. <clears throat> mm, shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> then I'm like, now somebody asked me for something. I'm like, yeah, bet. That's good. 
Like, yeah, we good. Yeah, that's now, what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. But at first, I had to be <laughs> conscious and be like, going from, yeah, no problem. I can definitely do that for you to, yeah, no problem. I got you. Yeah, say less. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, and then I'd have to code switch back in my mind, like, damn, you sounded so corny just then. Like, why? Just say what you want to say, you know? <laughs> so, so it is more difficult. So, finding these spaces where, um, you know, our kids can just be authentic. And in the classroom, my kids, I tell them all the time, I say, listen, y'all got to understand that how we talk, this is a language in and of itself. This has rules, this has regulation. Yep. African American vernacular English is a thing. But I also need y'all to know when you're writing, I said, I'm never going to correct the way you speak, right? Now, that wasn't me four years ago. I was the teacher saying, no, 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 baby, you didn't say that right. It said like this, right? So don't think that I just Mm -hmm. been, you know, living my authentic self for just, you know, however. No, like this is is new for me coming into my own saying, I'm not going to do this no more. Now, with that in my classroom, I do tell my kids, I say, look, I'm never going to correct the way you speak, right? However you talk, like, I'm going to let that be. However, I do need you to code switch on paper and know that there's conversational language and there is academic mm-hmm. language, right? On paper, you got to yep. know that. But when we, when we, you know, just going back and forth and we in class, we talking, whatever, whatever, that's fine, right? And so I'm realizing yep. that, and you know, too, as an English teacher, how difficult it is. I mean, our kids are writing U's for the letter U. They writing gonna. They, yes. want, they writing finna. And so I'm going yep. back on their paper highlighting that, and they're like, well, what's finna? How do I how do I change finna? And I'm like, about to or going to. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, Because yep. even yep. outside of the South, people, you say, I'm finna go to the store. They're like, finna, what is a finna? You know what I'm saying? What? Like, Yeah, I have no idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, and I love that. That's a whole other topic too, girl, because you know we could do this all day. But I was thinking about um, when you were talking about creating this community for maroon arts and culture and you know i gotta have lj on so she can talk about this because i just need the world Mm -hmm. to know about maroon arts and culture and you taught me something because i didn't even know that about like the the term maroon so i hope y'all learned something too because i didn't even know that word but um i was thinking about (laughs) google maroon communities and you'll have a whole nother education that you're like the world has failed me and i went to an hbcu and mm-hmm. I still didn't learn. I learned about, I didn't, I, I knew a little bit, but I didn't get the depth of information I should have gotten over Maroon Communities because I just don't think it's in a textbook like that anywhere. You have to really look for that information. Absolutely. You really do. And that's that's the biggest thing in education. And I realized last year, um, I read this article um, and it talked about 10, it said 10 um, books to read that replace um, How to Kill a Mockingbird, right? Because to Kill a Mockingbird, mm. How to Kill a Mockingbird is, you know, the classic. And I have to say this all the time, that we have all of these white classics because black people weren't allowed to write. And then when we were writing, yep. we had to write under fake, um, you know, uh, like, pen names, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, like, we had to change our names. We had to pretend to be white women. Or even white women had to pretend to be white men, you know what I'm saying, in order to, to mm-hmm. write. And so that that's a whole other thing. But I'm like, we keep saying this is a classic. And I'm like, let's evaluate what a classic is and why it's a classic. Why is this considered a classic, right? So hmm. last year I realized when I said, you know what? Let's replace How to Kill a Mockingbird. Let's petition to get um, The Hate You Give. And this was the first time, Anita, which is why schools like Maroon Arts and Culture are so important um, and teachers that are going to be advocates are so important because when I, when the first page, right, the very first page of uh, The Hate You Give, 
the protagonist star, she is at a party, right? And she's describing mm-hmm. everything that she sees. The the twerking, the the weed, the smell of weed, you know what I'm saying? And my kids are like, yo, miss, keep re- let's keep reading. Now, you know how hard it is to get our kids. So, like, that was, like, the highlight of my career is popping open a book where our kids saw themselves. And some people are like, well, why I got to be a book about smoking weed and twerking? No. Like, you missing the whole point if that's where your brain went, right? The fact that our culture was in a book, right? Because so many of those things, and not not that weed is our culture, calm down, right? (laughs) But it's something that we are not used to. The yeah. majority of us yeah. know what weed smells like. We know what twerking. That's us. I don't care what nobody say. That's us. Okay. Um. So all that yep. dancing, all of that, that's us. And the fact, and we know what house parties look like. Like we go, that's a feeling of home. So don't get caught up on, you know, exactly like what I just said, but more so the feeling of our kids being able to see themselves in books and Yes. The fact that, you know, the entire story is about this girl finding her voice in activism when her best friend, Khalil, is shot by the hands of police. And then we started the book in, like, I think February uh, or March. And then, you know, all of the, the, the quarantine happened and George Floyd and everything. And I was like, how relevant is this book for our kids, you know? When they have an entire curriculum that they never, they never get to see themselves ever, no matter what it Listen, is, you know. White kids get to be enthusiastic about reading from from very very young. Jump. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, of course, everything starts at home. Me and Jimenez, we both have an Amazon list that we're collecting black books for our kids that we purchase oh, all yeah. the time. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, when t- when English teachers are teaching novels and books and things. And our kids, our black and brown kids, never see them re- themselves represented. They lose that interest. By the time they get to Jimenez in high school, they don't want to read any of this stuff. Absolutely. And you can only imagine how their lives would be changed if they were reading, engaging pieces that they could see themselves in from when they were in kinder, first, second, third, fourth grade and mm-hmm. going into deep analysis with that. So back to maroon arts and culture, um, I- I'm doing similar to what you're doing, Jimenez. I'm teaching a book club. Um, of a book called This Is My America by Kim Johnson, and it oh, is been, it is yeah. very relevant. You it's just talked fresh, about that the other new. day, so I got to get it. Yes, yes. And the protagonist is a young uh, African-American girl, and her father is incarcerated, which a lot of our students, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of opened my eyes to that, and that's the activism you were doing with some of our students and their incarcerated parents. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it's just a really good page-turning book where the language, the AAVE is in there. The kids can read it. They can understand it. They can get into it. Um, the other teacher, Johan, he's teaching a math empowerment um, course to help, you know, I hate that it's a stereotype, and me and Jimenez are in that, that we just don't like that math like that. We just, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, that's, mm-mm. And so he's trying to teach, you know, black and brown kids that you, you too can do math. STEM yep. is not just for Rich white kids, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, and rich white um, men on top of that. Uh, rich white white men, because mm-hmm. it's even hard to get girls into. Absolutely. Um, so he's he's teaching that class, and he's he's a, a magnificent educator uh, with lots of experience. He's based out of California as well. Uh, we're offering um, homework help for math. I'm offering homework help for reading and writing. Um, LJ is going to do a couple of workshops of uh, playwriting and drama club and critic, you know, drama critic. Uh, club and so we're offering a lot of things so go to maroonarts.com if you can um, and check out freedom school where we are trying to tell the story 
from the from the perspective of marginalized communities. And it. it's really important if you have a kid who is a reluctant reader, and you you would be surprised to see your your student your child get into a book mm-hmm. when they like the book, you yeah. know, and they and they can they can feel the book. A lot of the books, like you said, these classics. I remember being a, a good reader through school, and I would glaze over during Shakespeare. Oh yeah, I just couldn't. Oh my gosh, I, I refuse. <laughs> we did. Uh, uh, I remember we we read, and I'm putting that in quotes. If you can't hear it, mm-hmm. reread Beowulf. <laughs> Be- Beowulf. I never read that. I did a Cliff Notes and barely made it through. And I'm a strong reader. Yeah. So it's like, why is it important to read Beowulf? And it's cool. I understand the classics, but Jesus. It's important to know too, right? That good teachers, um, they can make anything relevant. Like that's not like we can make anything relevant, but why should we have to make something relevant? That should be the question. Like, because Hmm. this should already be relevant. We shouldn't have to like, pull okay this this um fight right here is like no like we they should be able to say miss this is actually like yes they should be able to draw those connections in their own lives right um because that is what you're trying to do especially in in english you're trying to make them make inferences and draw these conclusions and connections and evaluate and analyze right but when it's so boring no matter Mm -hmm. how relevant you make it they're like yo this this is so whack and i'm done right they're clocked out they resigned before they even come back which brings me to the next thing I was going to say right now and I was actually looking into it more black people are pulling their kids out of school and homeschooling um yes and they're doing these little pod these little like black uh homeschooling communities that kind of blew my mind because I was like yo we really out there unlearning Right. We are like unlearning all of these things, which is a whole other podcast. We keep doing this. Right. (laughs) Because as educators, it's like ah, that's also like such a huge, like 30 minute topic that we can discuss. But we are unlearning all of these things that have been taught to us where now and when you get to just like you were saying, when you get to see um, the story told from. from the story of the marginalized, the oppressed, right? It changes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because just like they said, what is it the when we're talking about hunting that the lion never gets to tell the story? Um, yes. And so when you are the one that has been hunted in this hunt, this country for centuries, right, we're not the ones that get to tell our story, which was um, mm-hmm. the whole reason why I was like, I, we got to see, we got to read the hate you give. Um, from the perspective, from our perspective, right? Because that's what we resonate with. So um, I wanted to say this. Uh, I was reading, um, have you read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi yet? I have not read it, but it is on my list. It's Girl. on my list to read because it's full of jewels. So I have been reading it for months on end because it's so heavy, right? Like, and not heavy, yeah. like, like draining but heavy like there's a lot of information and so then you kind of if because you read like me right now you're like yo i gotta google that so that's kind of what it is or you're like you just gotta ponder on it because you take it in and what i do love in his book i disagree with uh, you know a lot of it not like a ton but there are parts that i disagree with which i'm actually going to bring up right now um but there are also parts where i'm like you know how books just give you a name for things that you've been through or that you didn't even know you there was a name for it? Uh, that's what yeah. his book does. So he breaks down, there's this part in his book, um, for those of you who have read it, um, you'll know, but for those of you who haven't, I'll explain it. He talks about how 
um, there uh, in there are assimilationists, right? These are the black people and white people, like who say, well, if black people just walk this way, talk this way, look this way, act this way, right? Then they will be accepted by mainstream culture. So those are assimilationists, yes. right? As long as they assimilate, mm-hmm. they'll be fine, right? Those are the, if only they would just comply people. That's where they fall, right? Mm-hmm. Assimilationists. And then there are segregationists who are like, we don't need to be around them. We're fine on our own. Um, we can build or, you know, they're good over there. We're good over here, Right. Um, And then there are Uh the anti-racists who are like, we need to find a way to not not just be together and kind of live together, go to the same schools and communities, but also work towards building down and breaking down barriers um, and of understanding of education, of things that we have been taught, uh, things like that. And so my question to you is a lot... and. If you look at your own family, because what I did was when I was reading this, I was like, damn, this parent, like even my parents fell under those categories. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, my mom Mm -hmm. was this. My dad was that. I am this. It's very interesting to see. So I just want to know, what do you say to the black folks to say, well, you know, we fought hard to, you know, desegregate or, you know, and I don't think that it's right that we try to be segregationist with schools like Maroon Arts and Culture, because, you know, we're going to have some. Right. So what do you say to the people who feel like, you know, that's not anti-racist. That's a that's a segregationist um, tactic. Well, I'll say this first off, and and you can research this for yourself. Our our schools are are more segregated today than they were before, back before Mm -hmm. uh, Brown versus uh, the Board of Education. Education. I've lived it. I've worked in schools that were all white, Mm -hmm. all white. I've worked in schools that were majority white with a few international students. And I, and the current school I work at right now is 98% Latinx. That's it. You can't tell me that's not segregation. I don't teach any, I don't teach any black students. Mm -hmm. I have zero black students and zero white students. I don't have any. So when you say uh, we shouldn't do the segregation this way, I'm like, well, the system has already made us. Uh, you know, desegregated with the way that education is funded from right. taxes on housing. Okay, I'm not going to go there. That's another right. That's oh, another podcast. Girl. <laughs> Listen, I'm so, telling you, we need like so, two or three parts. <laughs> I love that you use the term that everyone's using, which is unlearning. Right. The issue is, is I when you said you were talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, and you were like, "But why? Like, why is that a classic?" And the, I feel like Black folks know it's the. the you know, we all have that under that underlying understanding. These classics are classics because they support white supremacy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they they ingrain it into our kids, mm-hmm. both the black kids and the white kids. Yep. They ingrain this ingrain this white supremacy within throughout the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So when you when you reach out to an organization like Maroon Arts and Culture, it's not that we're saying that you should segregate yourself. We're saying we're saying that you should put yourself first. Mm-hmm. You should learn about your own your own things first, just like white folks have been doing all this time because there are black classics and there are right. black authors who are doing amazing things. And so I would say the folks that are doing the homeschool, I get it. I understand it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, I was a black kid who went to like majority white schools. It's, it's almost abusive. Yeah. Like, honestly, I agree. It's, it's, it's almost abusive. Um, when people want to touch your hair and they want to touch your skin and they... You're like a like a zoo animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's and you oh my God, you talk so this and oh you you, you can't talk proper enough, you can't talk country enough, you know, nothing mm-hmm. 
you don't fit. You know what I mean? And so I think that Maroon and, and, and other organizations like Maroon and people who are choosing to homeschool their kids just want their kids to get the actual factual education, right. like the true education, because you would be a fool to sit here and say that you think that these textbooks are not skewed when we right. know Florida, Florida, California, Texas are the biggest, you know, textbook purchasers in the nation. Right. And therefore they influence what's in the textbook. And we see in history textbooks and they say Africans came to the state, you know, for a better life. Or as migrant, yeah, as migrant workers. workers. <laughs> and McGraw-Hill, like, like, we're like, oh, no, we'll correct it. But what they did was instead of throwing out all the books, right, they said, we'll just co- co- um, correct the online version. And I'm like, come on. Like, during this time when this happened, teachers weren't using the online books like that. Like, there was no. Mm-hmm. So basically what you said was, we ain't, we ain't correcting that shit. Like, we're not. Like, look, we'll do this online to appease you. But at the end of the day, we're not making any changes. We said what we said. Um, enslaved um, Africans came over here as migrant workers, yep. and that's it is what it is, right? And so now our yep. kids have this completely... And let me just add on to what I said earlier, because this, you hit it. Like, this is exactly what it was. The, the article that I mentioned earlier uh, about um, the 10 books that, um, that can replace How to Kill a Mockingbird, the interesting thing about mm-hmm. that was... So my white coworker, and I say this all the time... My English 2 team is everything. Like, I love them so much. Um, they're, they're just great. Just I just work with a bunch. Like, my team are just woke white folks, and I just really appreciate them. Cause, <laughs> and I can say <laughs> what I want, and they'd be like, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You know, <laughs> so I really appreciate them, and they let our kids be their most authentic selves, um, and they don't feel yes. uncomfortable around our kids, and that that's important for me. Because I talk about... I think it's super, super, super important to have teachers that look like our kids. That is important for me. And when you don't Mm -hmm. have that, it is important to have teachers that see your kids, like period. Because if they can, now we've got teachers up there that have James Baldwin quotes, white teachers that have James Baldwin quotes on the wall and they're incorporating that and they're teaching. When they teach history, they and they're like, but, but, but don't get it twisted because you know, black people were doing this at this time and they're, they're taking it away from the textbook and still trying to give you the real, you know what I'm saying? Um, and you already know that black teachers and and Latino Latinx teachers are doing that all day long as well. So I appreciate, you know, when we, as many people as we can get to be anti-racist in that classroom and teach the correct, um, history, uh, then, then that's beautiful. But anyway, in that article about the how to kill a mockingbird article, it said that this professor, um, he asked everybody, and y'all, I don't even care. I know this is like a English teacher shame, but I don't remember How to Kill a Mockingbird. I don't remember, like, I don't remember anything about it. But I do remember in the article he was saying that he asked um, the people in the classroom to define the guy who, in essence, in the book is a white savior. And they were like, oh, merciful and this and that and nice and kind and caring. And they had all of these adjectives to describe this white man who I guess saved, right, air quote, saved Mm -hmm. this black man. And then when the professor said, now tell me what you know about the black character 
they struggled to find words. They didn't have anything to really describe him. They were like, oh, timid. or And so that's when I realized why it's important to, not that's when, but that's another time that I realized it's important to tell our own stories because when the oppressor gets to tell our stories, they will always be elevated. They will always be elevated. And we will be the ones that they saved. We don't need you to save us. We need y'all to stop doing the Mm -hmm. shit that y'all been doing for centuries. Like, that's what we, we need you to fight against oppressive systems but we don't need saving right and so anyway I thought that that was just really impressive and I was like yeah we gotta we have to get books um written by people who look like our students and who understand the backgrounds of our students right um and some of the some of the the teachers were reading not your I th- I what is it's either not your average not Mexican, your, not your perfect uh, Mexican daughter. Yes, it is. yes. But apparently that's a it's good one. I was looking yes, for that one. Yeah. And so you know the majority of my school is not just Latinx but predominantly Mexican. And so the customs and the cultures and all of the things in that book they resonated with. You know what I mean? Yep. So just beautiful as well. So I am, uh, Celia, I just cannot even say enough how grateful I am to have had you like on this episode. Um, that's going to be one of many because we're doing y'all education. We are struggling right now. So we're going to be doing a whole bunch of segments. Y'all going to be like, damn, does she have anything else to talk about? <laughs> I mean, <Ooh. laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to transition from this, you know, from this, from this profession, you know, mm-hmm. you get all this education and it's, and it's not really, I mean, you would think that the skills are transferable because we are everything, mm-hmm. but it's hard. And it's teachers that are looking to leave the profession and they just don't even know where to go or where to start or what to right. do. Right. And so um, y'all keep teachers in your prayers. I want to implore parents to look at the curriculum and look at these textbooks and look at it for yourself as an adult now and look back at this, these curriculum and look at the things your kids are being taught very early on and the indoctrination right. that is happening. And you get someone like 45 who says, Oh, uh, the 1619 podcast is uh, racist and uh, we're teaching kids to hate America and we need a more American curriculum. And I'm like, he must hasn't opened up a book because everything is very white centered here. So, um, you know, my husband and I, we were painting uh, my daughter Naomi's room and over a two day period and we listened to the entire podcast, uh, the 1619 mm -hmm. podcast over that two day period. And, you know, it's almost embarrassing what you don't know, right? I say this every episode. I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. But as you're listening to it, like, there's just this, like, shame that comes over you. And then you're like, no, but wait a minute. Like, this was purposely done. You have to remind yourself yes. that you not knowing any damn thing that this 1619 or not, you know, the details of what 1619 and all these other um, historians and just educated people, right, are telling us was left out intentionally, you know, like, Yes. That was purposely done, and you can't be upset with yourself because everybody has to have a starting point, you know? Yep. Um, so, yeah, can you give us the information again for Maroon Arts? I just, I need everybody to know. We need freedom schools everywhere. We need them popping up. Oh, my gosh. We just need them on the corners where <laughs> where we can just well, enroll we're our virtu- kids. We're virtual now, so any that means that anyone anywhere can get some of this, some of this uh, education. So... Um, on all of our socials, we are Maroon AC, M-A-R-O-O-N, Maroon AC. Um, if you go to our website, we're maroonarts.com. If you're interested particularly in the school, you can go to maroonarts.com slash freedom hyphen school. Um, but you can just go to maroonarts.com and you'll see the link there as well. Um, 
where else can you find us? Facebook. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Maroon Arts and Culture. And if it's something you're interested in, please shoot us an email. Please contact us. We are a very small nonprofit, but we are really, really uh, passionate about what we're doing. We really believe in this mission of spreading the art, you know, of of marginalized communities. And, um, you know, I'm excited to work with kids and teach a book. Even on my side, Jimenez, and I know you probably did with the book that you that you taught your kids, I feel like I'm going to be able to authentically even teach this book, mm-hmm. like, as a black woman. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to be like, yo, like, did y'all see? You know, like, mm-hmm. I'll be able to get into it um, with the kids, and I'm just so excited about that. And so registration is still going on right now. Um, it's not too late um, to get your kids in- enrolled. And we're also looking at offering some ACT and SAT prep yes. um, coming oh, up in January. Listen, Which also includes, we're, we're that, doing a whole college thing, applications, uh, essays, all that. So that's going to be coming up in January because we know in the spring is when kids usually kind of buckle down and get to that. So we're offering all of that virtual. Everything is virtual. So please go to maroonarts.com. We would love, love, love to have your people um, come through your children. And white folks can come too. White, white folks can come to, to listen, our classes as well. Because the white folks that listen to, to this, this podcast, too. they do not feel uncomfortable going. Let me tell you that. Like, I got people at school like, oh, I got to I gotta hit up this person that you had on and that person. They do not feel uncomfortable around black folks. So that's <laughs> that's one thing I can say. If you, if like, you got like, this far well, the, with the stuff we be talking about, they, they ain't uncomfortable. That's for sure. So... <laughs> Listen, um, white white children would benefit from this too. They they need to know about our culture and and, and read a book with a black protagonist. Like mm-hmm. they they need that too. It's helpful. Absolutely. It's helpful. Um, so nonprofit, you gonna throw out that Venmo cash app? What y'all got? You know, y'all got something. I mean, you know, I you know our cash app Maroon AC. That's it, Maroon AC. You know the little money sign. You know the little <laughs> maroon AC. Um, and we we even if you are a person who is able, we are accepting sponsors. If you want to sponsor a student who uh, is taking one of our classes, um, we will accept a donation for that, and that will directly pay for uh, the admission of a student into our um, into our classes. We are flexible and willing to work on a sliding scale with parents. Um, as of right now, our classes are one twenty nine, one hundred and twenty nine dollars. Um, for a nine-week course, but um, we we do not want money to be the only reason that you do not bring your kids to us. We are truly a nonprofit, and we really want this mission out. So please contact us, and we can work out a payment plan. We may have folks sponsor for you. Just don't, you know, not reach out and be like, oh, I just I can't afford that right now. But you know, um, we do need money to run the organization. So. <laughs> Thank you. I, yes, I understand. I mean, even me, I'm like, yo, y'all, because I need some equipment, you know, so I get you. Um, Celia, you are, I just love you so much. You are, when I say one of my biggest heroes for everything that you do for our community, um, for everything that you have taught me, uh, how to be a great teacher, how to love these kids like my own, how to pour my heart into them, how to set boundaries uh, the things that you have taught me are just, they're priceless. I can't even, I, I can't put a number on them. Uh, thank you for being the brilliant just specimen that you are. Um, I hope that y'all will look into Maroon Arts. We're going to have LJ on. She don't even know yet, but I'm going to tell her she's going to be on. Oh, she's coming. She's coming. <laughs> LJ coming because I love LJ. Um, and so the, we could talk a little bit more about it, but. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Jimenez. I appreciate it. Yes. Um, you guys already know, each one, teach one. Uh, I need you to go out, look at that curriculum, look at what your kids are learning. 
Uh, don't just be, don't, do not, I'm saying this as a teacher, don't just trust us to teach your kids because there's a lot of teachers out there that are not teaching your children well and they're not teaching them the right things. And, and I say that honestly and candidly, and I, I just need you to understand that not everybody has your child, your black and brown child's interest at heart, a best interest at heart. So I need you to understand that. Anyway, uh, each one, teach one, y'all already know what it is. Uh, please follow me uh, at Black Joy and Bootstraps. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Black Joy and Bootstraps, and also uh, on Twitter, BLK Joy and Boots. That's Black Joy and Boots, BLK Joy and Boots. Uh, so I can't keep saying it, y'all. Each one, teach one. I'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs>